Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. everyone. This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. I am joined today by a co-host, Madison Fairbaugh, one of my colleagues here at W2 Communications. And we are so excited to welcome Marianne McGee here to the podcast. Marianne is the executive editor and journalist covering health data security and privacy issues at Information Security Media Group, ISMG. Great to have you, Marianne. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Right. So we are so excited to learn more about your background. I know you've been covering, geez, IT um, and, and cybersecurity and technology for about 30 years and focusing on healthcare information technology for about 15 years. So I'm sure you have a wealth of experience and knowledge on this space. How did you get your start? And if you can give us a quick overview of your background, that would be really interesting. Sure. I, I actually started out as an education major, and this is like, I'm not, I'm not going to say the year, but it was a long time ago. Uh, and then wound up changing majors into journalism, uh, because at the time when I was majoring in education, you know, there was uh, uh, too many teachers and too few kids. There were, um, you know, all, all the advice I was getting was, yeah, you don't want to go into teaching. There's no jobs. So, but at that time, I actually was... Um, uh, at college and started to work at the student newspaper. And that's what sort of uh, got me interested in, you know, kind of switching majors and, um, you know, focusing on journalism. And then, you know, long story short, you know, once I graduated from college, um, I did the, you know, the typical stint that many journalists do, you know, covering like community sort of news. Uh, I was on a weekly, many of my colleagues generally, you know, spend some time at dailies. Um, I, I kind of skipped that, but ended up um, working um, at a uh, an accounting magazine for a while uh, in New York City, and it was deadly boring, and they had me basically doing filing work, and I was there for like three weeks when I got a call from a company called CMP Publications on Long Island, which was located like five minutes from where I lived and where I had, you know, grown up on Long Island. I'm like, oh, why are they calling me? And I hadn't remembered, I had, I, I just remembered at that point that, oh God, I did. I sent a resume there. I had seen a, an ad in um, editors and publishers. I, I think, I don't even know if that magazine's still around and had uh, applied for a job there uh, for some pilot program that they were starting at the time uh, where they were taking uh, four recent college grads and having them kind of rotate on some of their computer magazines. And I'm like, oh, God, this sounds boring. But, oh, you know, why not? It's better than having to commute into the city to this accounting magazine where I'm filing. And, um, you know, from there, I, I just I really loved working at this company. Uh, you know, long story short, you know, I wound up uh, staying at the company uh, working at, uh, you know, a variety of its magazines and, you know, ended my career there um, at Information Week, where I spent many, many years writing about career issues and IT issues until I got a call in 2012 from a former Information Week colleague who had taken a job a few years earlier at Information Security Media Group. And he was saying, oh, you know, we have an opening here for a healthcare editor. And, you know, I sort of jumped at that chance because I had spent, you know, the last 
10, 15 years at Information Week writing about health IT. And, you know, this is sort of um, going into a more kind of niche area of uh, health data security and privacy issues, which, you know, are important. So, you know, that's that's how I ended up what I'm doing now. And it's a fascinating area. You know, I've been doing a lot of the same sort of stories uh, for a while, but it's just when I stand back and, and look at how everything's evolved in, you know, not only in the IT industry, but in health IT, it's really pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's definitely a very fascinating journey, and especially just that transition from the more general area into specifically health and healthcare IT. And just for our audience's awareness, could you maybe um, elaborate on the types of topics that you typically cover now at um, Healthcare Info Security and maybe the most important or most interesting topics to you at the moment? Sure. I well, it, you know, it's, it's a wide range, and anything that has to do with health information, security, privacy issues, uh, um, you know, HIPAA, uh, other federal regulations, uh, you know, the attacks that we're seeing on healthcare entities and the impact it's having in some cases on on patient care, um, medical devices, and other IoT or OT that is used in healthcare, you know, being at risk for, for not only compromises and attacks, but, um, you know, patient safety issues overall as well. Um, AI, you know, that's definitely a hot topic these days. And, uh, I, I, you know, my, myself as well as my colleagues are sort of, uh, you know, also expanding our focus on AI related issues. And mine, you know, of course, would be in the healthcare area. Mm-hmm. How are you seeing the impact of AI in that healthcare area? Well, you know, AI, uh, you know, like I, I'm starting to really kind of focus on this now as part of my beat, but, you know, AI in healthcare has been around for a while, you know, for cl- clinical decision support. AI has also been used to help radiologists um, read, you know, mammograms and, you know, mm-hmm. other sorts of images that, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, radiologists might miss. Um, but, you know, the more I'm, I've been speaking to people, you know, over the last few weeks, over the last several months, um, some of the work that's going on in this area are, is really p- quite promising and fascinating. There are risks, of course, but, um, you know, I had a conversation just the other day with someone and they were describing how they're, uh, you know, they, they collect EHR data from many you know, like dozens of the largest healthcare systems in the country. And, you know, some of the researchers that are using this data and it's de-identified, you know, so the patient's names and other sort of identifiers are not revealed, but they're able to kind of drill down and see things as, uh, you know, as detailed as, uh, you know, what sort of uh, device was used on a patient during surgery compared to a similar device from another vendor and which one led to less bleeding you know, in the operating room. So, you know, yeah, those are the sorts of things that AI can bring to light that, you know, it would take so many man hours to try to like look for something like that. And this might've been even an accidental sort of finding. Um, So I think AI has a lot of potential on, uh, you know, helping patients ultimately in uh, healthcare, you know, as long as it's not being abused, you know, by, Mm -hmm. you know, security and privacy breaches. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I know we're de- we'll definitely be following your coverage on that as AI becomes such a prevalent topic here in the next several years. 
yeah, you know, kind of, you know, we're 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 trying to uh, kind of shed this, you put the spotlight more on some of the more interesting things that are going on, with, with always the eye on what the risks are too when it comes to privacy and security. Yes, absolutely. And I'm curious. I mean, I know because AI is definitely one of those hottest topics at the moment. Have you seen anything else related to that intersection of healthcare? and cybersecurity, anything else that you see on the horizon between the end of this year going into 2024 that you see as a hot topic? Well, you know, ransomware attacks mm -hmm. have been, you know, sort of the plague here for the last several years. And, uh, you know, looking ahead, one of the things that I'm sort of dreading to write uh, is this, the, the, the story that breaks where, you know, a ransomware attack has led to deaths you know and there's been you know some reports of you know there's been a a, a lawsuit down in Alabama a couple of years ago about um you know a mother who was in labor and delivered her baby while a hospital was suffering a ransomware attack and the you know physicians did not have access to fetal monitoring and you know ultimately the baby was born with complications and then later died um that's one case, but I, I'm, I'm sort of dreading the you know possibility that we're going to see many other deaths and many other sorts of uh, things that can very well be directly linked to health to uh, a healthcare entity suffering a ransomware attack and doctors not having um, access to that information. And there's been government studies that show that you know response time for patients you know seeking care in emergency rooms and um, you know, other care, you know, it, there is sort of that link between delayed care caused by ransomware attacks, but I just don't want to see anything, you know, a catastrophe. And, and that's one of the things, you know, I'm always kind of keeping my eye out for, gosh, you know, this this organization has suffered a, a ransomware attack. You know, it's a small regional hospital and the mm -hmm. next hospital might be, you know, hours away. You, you don't want to see people die or get harmed, you know, because of these attacks. Yeah, and just the implications. Right, that's very that, true. Yeah, the implications of ransomware on um, healthcare systems. It's like it's dire. It's it's fatal at times. So it's it's um, just very important to be aware of. Um, I I read one of your recent articles, and um, it was a research report talking about how three out of four um, ransomware attackers are maliciously encrypting data too. So we're seeing this evolution that attackers are taking. Um, you know, it just changes every day almost. What are you seeing in terms of that? Uh, yeah, that's that's you know definitely um, the case there where you know the ransomware attackers are getting more creative and uh, you know sophisticated in their attacks on healthcare entities, as well as other organizations. But, you know, the healthcare entities are always sort of at higher risk because you do have patients, you know, lives that are in, at stake. You know, you have all these medical devices and, you know, special equipment that can keep people alive, you know, not to mention, you know, diagnose um, things like cancer and other, you know, even urgent sorts of conditions that need to be attended to. And, Mm -hmm. you, you really don't want to see, you know, these uh, uh, ransomware attackers outpace healthcare entities and their ability to prevent and detect and respond to these incidents. Uh, and I'm afraid that's sort of what's happening in many mm -hmm. cases. Yeah, that's very alarming. 
Yeah, and another another one of the kind of current focuses, and I know you've covered a lot of issues between security and privacy and HIPAA. I'm curious, is there something that's been most surprising to you to learn in this area of your coverage? Well, you know, HIPAA's been around for a long time, uh, and uh, you know, we, we've seen enforcement actions by the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, you know, in, in various, you know, breach cases that kind of, you know, shine a spotlight on, you know, what went wrong. And, um, you know, I think the thing that's maybe frustrating as an outsider who, you know, I, I'm not in healthcare, but I, you know, I'm close enough to see what's happening is that, um, you know, a lot of the things that healthcare entities should be doing, they're just not doing, you know, and, and a lot of the, you know, some of it is more general cyber hygiene sorts of things, but, um, you know, it, it's also with practices, you know, um, the Department of Health and Human Services has had, I don't know, dozens of enforcement actions against entities that have been slow and resistant to, you know, handing over a patient's records to that patient. Um, and so things like that, you know, that's that, that seems to me like well, that would be a given, you know, the, the patient wants their their medical records, you know, give it to them, you know, and having so many enforcement actions against healthcare entities that still drag their feet in doing that um, is, you know, frustrating. And I can kind of relate to that as a patient when you want your information, you want your information. Uh, but then, you know, the other things there, you know, record snooping, you know, you see a lot of that still, although I think you're seeing less of that. Uh, I think there's better monitoring to the point where, you know, if a clinician is looking at a neighbor's record because a neighbor happened to come in the ER, um, they're going to get, you know, they're going to get sanctioned potentially, or at least, you know, have their hands slapped and it doesn't look good. Um, so there's a lot of things that still go on when it comes to the compliance angle that, you know, still kind of amazes me that, you know, entities just haven't gotten it, or it, maybe it's not even the institution. It's just a couple of rogue employees that kind of mess up. Right. That makes sense. And I actually, I really like your point about how, you know, we're, we all are also patients too. So we can relate to some of these stories that you're writing about. And even your point about how you're not necessarily in healthcare, but you've been covering it for so long and you've been paying attention to all of these developments. So I'm kind of curious over the years and um, the years that you've been in and covering healthcare, how have you seen the industry overall evolve? What have you seen? Maybe there's been improvements in some areas. Maybe you think there are still improvements that need to be made in other areas. I'm curious of your opinion there. Well, you know, I, I, I since I've been covering this for so long, to me, um, you know, I have the advantage of seeing, again, by covering this for years and years, decades now, um, just the evolution of IT in healthcare, you know, when I started covering, and it wasn't really part of my official beat when I was at Information Week, you know, prior to coming where I am now, um, you know, it was just kind of part of my beat. And, you know, the way I just started covering healthcare was because during the administration of George W. Bush, he sort of set out this um, goal for Americans, and this was like in 2003, 2004, to, for most Americans to have electronic health records, that it was just crazy that doctors are still relying on paper charts, and paper charts get lost, you can't share them easily. And, you know, at that point, he had set up this goal and there was a lot of, you know, celebration. Oh, you know, we're all, we're all going to try to 
uh, adopt electronic health records, but you know the hospitals and the doctor offices did not have money to do that. So then in 2008, 2009, when President Obama was in office and we were faced with an economic crisis, you know, the banking crisis and the High Tech Act came uh, into law by Congress and, you know, signed into law by President Obama, uh, it, it created an incentive program, a financial incentive program, the High Tech Act, meaningful use for these hospitals and doctor offices to invest in buying these systems. So you know, fast, fast forward to now, you know, it's very rare to find a hospital or a doctor office not using electronic health records. But yet at the same time, they, you know, they're really kind of newcomers when you think about it, you know, versus manufacturing and other industries that have been using IT for many, 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 many years. And, you know, as a result, you know, the security and privacy issues, you know, as much as the, you've had HIPAA for many years, you know, as law, you know, the attention that's been paid to uh, information security and privacy issues in the healthcare sector is really kind of recent. And it's been kind of really uh, been in the spotlight because of all these cyber attacks. So, you know, when I look back at God, how amazing it is. And within a 20 year span, we went from paper to where we are now, where not only are most hospitals and healthcare uh, practices using electronic health records, but they're one of the biggest targets now for cyber criminals because this data is so sensitive and important. So it's pretty amazing when I kind of step back to see how quickly, and it wasn't really that quick, but you know, in a flash of an eye, it did, it did seem to really kind of change so radically from where we were maybe 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. <laughs> so I know you've talked about electronic health records, privacy, HIPAA, ransomware. Are there any topics that maybe you get pitched a lot or that you hear about that you're kind of sick of hearing about at this point? Um, well, you know, not so many, not so much the pitches, but, you know, I, I, and again, you know, I, I cover these stories because they're important. You know, I'm, I'm sick of the ransomware attacks. I just, yeah. I hate to see these happening to uh, entities, um, but it's sort of, you know, a fact of life now for these entities. And, you know, when you have a big attack that affects, you know, a large medical facility or a rural facility or a regional group of facilities, it, it's really, um, you say, God, I have to write about this, but yeah, you got to write about it because it's so important really to kind of show what's going on there and what are the lessons learned. Mm -hmm. um, Medical devices, I, I'm not sick of that. I find that to be a fascinating area because these devices themselves are so innovative in some of the things that they can do to help patients, but they also are targets for compromise. Although I, you know, the there's been a lot more attention over the last few years on medical device security and the uh, Food and Drug Administration um, over the last year has um, had some um uh, extra authority granted to them by Congress where they can kind of, uh, uh, you know, either deny approval of a product because it lacks security or, you know, tell the manufacturer to go back to the drawing board and make sure you address these security issues that we're looking at before we will approve your product. So, you know, that, I find that is more of a promising area. And so, you know, when I hear about those things, it's like, okay, good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something's improving. Yeah, very true. And looking back at, you know, your 30 year career or so, what has been one of your most memorable stories to write? 
Um, well, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day and I'm like, wow, you know, I guess one of the most memorable stories, you know, it, it, a way, and this has nothing to do with healthcare and, it, and, and why it's memorable now is because um, when I compare what was happening at the time to what's happening now, it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Uh, about, oh gosh, this is like in the late 90s when I was still in information week, I had broke a story with one of my colleagues on um, this, the giant you know, sneaker manufacturer, Adidas, having um, a problem with their IT systems. And I, I forget what exactly the problem was, but at that time, the problem was so dramatic that they couldn't ship some, you know, of many of their sneakers and their retailers were complaining and, you know, pay and their customers couldn't get what they wanted. And it was having a, a big impact on the supply chain. And I'm not sure how long it went on for, you know, now, you know, years later, it might've been gone on for a few weeks, but I find it interesting because, you know, this is pre-internet days right. pretty much. Um, and, um, you know, now when you see what goes on with ransomware, you know, and how it's disrupting businesses through cyber attacks, it, it was kind of like an evolution, you know, pre-internet versus today. But, you know, a lot of the problems haven't changed. That is interesting. You're right. There's still so many of the same problems just with different types of technology being used. Absolutely. Yeah. And just talking about how everything has evolved over the years, is there anything, Marianne, throughout your career where you'd say it was a lesson learned for you between whether that's covering stories or maybe just the themes that keep coming up and up again over the years? What really stands out to you as things that you've learned throughout your career? Well, you know, I think part of it is, uh, you know, uh, maybe the practices of the job, you know, don't, don't burn your bridges, <laughs> treat mm -hmm. people Respectfully, you know, you don't know when a source that you're, you know, you're talking to for one story may be very helpful for something down the line that you really, you know, you couldn't really envision to be the case at that time. Right. Um, I'm not really a gotcha type of reporter or journalist. And, you know, I, I think, you know, in, in terms of longevity um, and, you know, keeping your connections and, and trying to have, um, and, you know, again, some, not, not all stories are positive stories. Not all stories are good. People don't like reading bad news about themselves. Um, but you try to do it with an eye on being respectful. And I think, you know, when it comes to doing the job of a journalist, that's important because, you know, a, a, a source might not like what you write about them because it's, you know, maybe embarrassing or it's, you know, damaging, but you can still treat people in a decent manner where it's not personal. Right. That's definitely important that that balance between valuing the truth, but also reporting on it in a respectful way. That's great. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we have just a couple of minutes for a few listener questions that came in for you, Marianne. Um, so the first one is, how do you prefer to be pitched? And do you have any best practices for organizations or PR folks looking to work with you? Um, you know, I, I email is fine, you know, in terms of method. Um, I, when I get a pitch, if there is a, um, of course, everyone loves exclusives. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but, you know, for me, you know, when it comes to the healthcare angle, if there is, for instance, a new technology or something, or do you have a customer that you can refer me to that hasn't already been talking to other media outlets about what mm -hmm. they're doing, something that's, you know, either different or unique or, um, you know, kind of cutting edge? Um, or, you know, something that is an example of, um, you know, a solution that could help others that, you know, maybe people are just not aware of. Um, so, you know, always having that sort of user, you know, whether it's a healthcare organization or, um, you know, others that are familiar with a new technology willing to talk about it. And I know that a lot of companies don't like to talk about how they're using mm -hmm. technology because it gives them an advantage, you know, and they also don't want to become a target for that matter. Um, but whenever there is some sort of face that you could put on um, a story, that's always helpful. And then that's what I kind of look for. Um, that, that's sort of generally, you know, that what catches my eye often. Yeah, good to know. End users, I think, always beneficial to, to speak to people who are actually experiencing the technology working at the organization. So definitely good insight um, that we'll keep in mind. Uh, and then the last listener question, um, what are, are two to three maybe unique or interesting takes you've heard from subject matter experts on whether it's AI in healthcare or just healthcare security in general? Uh, well, you know, I think I, when it comes to the AI, um, I kind of go back to that conversation I had the other day with, you know, the person who was describing how AI is helping to uncover, you know, clinical sort of observations that could help, you know, in care decisions or in, you know, technology development, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, certain devices being more effective or safer for, for certain kinds of patients or, you know, uh, efforts where AI is being used to try to help address patients that might have unusual or, you know, not commonly uh, found diseases, you know, often uh, it seems that some of these um, analytical tools are being used to sort of um, find trends within pa patient populations that perhaps were not known before, or, you know, you really didn't have your hands on it. Maybe the researchers had a gut feeling, but they couldn't prove it, but now they can, and now they can find a potential um, clinical trial uh, uh, participants, you know, those sorts of things. So that, you know, yeah. away from the data security and privacy issues, I think when it comes to AI, those are the things I find, you know, very interesting and promising. Uh, when it comes to the security and privacy side, you know, you also have to see how uh, AI could be used at a, for a disadvantage, you know, by the attackers and the cyber criminals and, you know, in terms of the attacks and, you know, the deep fakes and, mm -hmm. you know, AI enhanced phishing and all that sort of thing. So it, it's sort of a, you know, it's a game, you know, it's like a chess yeah. game, you know, the, uh, Healthcare entities want to use AI to their advantage, but in the meantime, you have the bad guys also using AI for their advantage. Very true. That's a good point. Um, great. And then we always like to close with a little bit more of a personal question. We know that you're based um, in Boston area. Anything else that um, listeners may not know about you, things that you like to do outside of um, your work as a journalist and editor? Sure. Uh, well, let's see, I, I'm an empty nester with my husband. We have three grown children who actually moved to New York. They all oh. live individually, but they all 
blew the nest and went to New York. Um, and so, you know, our child these days is our golden doodle. Oh, He's got a bad case of separation anxiety. You know, he's a pandemic dog. So, um, you know, on weekends, we have to take him with us pretty much everywhere unless we decide to bring him to the daycare center. Because if you leave him home alone, he gets into a lot of trouble. Oh, my gosh. What's his name? Joey. 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 Aw. <laughs> Joey just likes to be part of the family. Yeah, yeah. He part of the family he loves going in the car so it's like uh you know my free time seems to involve the dog <laughs> i love that not quite an empty nester then <laughs> right right <laughs> that's true well marion it's been so great to get to know you a little bit better and to hear more about some of the topics you're covering really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast this afternoon and thanks, Madison, as well, for jumping in as a co-host today. And thanks, everyone who's listening um, to Inside the Media Minds. Please follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found.